Hey, welcome to episode 65, part one of Shit We Don't Talk About, powered by Helix Interactive. My guest today is Rachel Giftekis McCumber, and our topic is religious cults. This episode is deeply personal, and it's also super long. That's what she said. And that's why it's in two parts. Rachel and I dive into our experiences of being raised in a born-again Christian cult. And listen, trigger warnings abound in this episode and include spousal and child abuse, essay, and religion, which in my opinion is just about as triggering as you can get. So please take special care while you're listening to this, especially if this is something you have in your history or that you've experienced. And as always, there's an accessibility transcript that can be found in the show notes at shitwedonttalkaboutpodcast.com. And the identifiers for this show, both of us are white blonde females, Rachel's in her 40s with long hair, and I'm in my 50s with short hair and glasses. And we both swear a lot, so wear headphones. All right, strap in. It gets good. Here we go. Hi, Rachel. Hello. How are you? I am good. You ready for this deep dive? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So for those of you out there, before we hit the record button, we just had... 50 minutes of catching up because I literally have not seen or physically spoken to you probably since I'm going to (laughs) say like maybe 1980. And so you were a little one. I think we connected in 2004. Did we do that? Like we messaged each other back and forth on social media or something. So we have been messaging on social media, but a physical actual talk and that, which is, I I love. And so what's great too, is that you are also married to someone who is also in the church and to just to, to let the cat out of the bag. We both grew up in, or were involved in, were indoctrinated, born into something called (laughs) the assembly. We are going to laugh and cry <laughs> and anger our way through this re- this reunion. So to sit here and see your face and have our history, and then for us to talk about the, the power of cults and then the power of getting out of cults is going to, it's yeah. it's really got a lot of oom shaboom to it in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> so we both, like I said, if you, and go to the show notes, by the way, at shit, we don't talk about podcast.com because we're going to have all the links to, and Rachel, if you're comfortable with it, your, uh, your yeah. story that you're told that you told the, uh, restraining order against your father, the story about, again, the assembly, which is a, yeah. a cult that was started in, I believe that the sixties or the seventies by your grandfather. So again, the late sixties, this is in California. And then it made its way out to the Midwest where I grew up, which is Champaign, Illinois. You are now in Urbana, Illinois. I love the (laughs) serendipity of coming back and powerfully becoming very successful in your business in spite of what you grew up with. And I I feel that for both of us, in spite of what we grew up with, we're in a, we've been able to transcend. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me it's about really you. Interesting people oftentimes. Yeah. So oh. me. Yeah. <laughs> I know really you were going to say people oftentimes what? I don't want to stop oh. you on that because that sounded good. Well, people oftentimes ask me like, if you could go back and change it, would you? And I, this is kind of like starting at the end, but um, what I always have to say is I, I, I wouldn't because I absolutely love my life today. Like I love it. I have an amazing life and I love who I have become. And I don't know that I would have, if I had to say I could go back and not have all of the experiences happen and not have all of the trauma happen and all of that, 
but I had to take the risk of not having what I have today. I, I, it's not something I would risk. Um, I just wouldn't. It's now, beautiful. that isn't to diminish what it was, but I'm really proud to be able to say that because there's a lot of people I know that, that really can't say that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that, I think, is something that those of us who have worked really, really hard, if we can get to the point of being able to say, I am who I am today because in part of all of that, and I love who I am, I think that's a really powerful thing to be able to get to. So mm-hmm. that's kind of my great accomplishment for myself is, I is that I that. could actually say that today. I, I think that's wonderful. I think it could be a combination of because of and in spite of the things that yeah, it's because of is because of what we did with it. Once we were able to take control, exactly, and the in spite of yeah. are the things that happened to us, especially as women, especially as young children. Again, you started at yeah. birth. Mine was uh, at the age of eight, and and we were involved in this cult from nineteen seventy three until I was so about nine years to nineteen eighty two is when I finally got out Mm -hmm. of it. It's the piece though, the, what you do with it, because the difference between surviving and thriving, I have a a talk that I did about it It was one of my first times to actually out myself about my history. (laughs) Well, right. I got out of the closet, the church closet, (laughs) but in the way of, of not the poor me, but like this is what, this is my experience. And there's a lot of people that have this is, which is why I was so excited to talk to you about this today. And just to let you all know what the catalyst was again, we've been in touch for years. And then I know (laughs) your husband whose parents were also quite involved in the church as well. I mean, we're talking like higher ups. We were, we'll talk about that, the difference in our experiences and how we all thought everybody had a, a different thing going on. But the other day I shared on Instagram, this meme, and it was, um, it was basically like, uh, and I'll share it in the the notes of a cup being poured important in another cup. And it's about Christianity and the things that you have to deal with as being part of a Christian and it's indoctrination, shame, a sexual shame, all these different things, uh, getting your friends to sign up as well too. I want to talk about that. Oh, right? I really don't think Jesus is all about the big, the big MLM push. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Oh, he, he to- that's actually really interesting. Mm-hmm. My best friend growing up um, after uh, as a child, um, we talked about this a little earlier, but I was very isolated because the specific church I was in and the area, the regional area I was in, there was nobody else in that church that was my age. Um, and I ended up making friends with a girl that lived next door. She was, she is Jewish and um, apparently Jewish was okay. Other Christians not so much, but apparently Jewish was okay, um, which is ironic. Yes. Um, and I was able to go to temple with her and I was able to do Shabbat with her, but you know, heaven forbid I celebrate Christmas with another friend. But anyway, so she and I were really close growing up and, um, and she's, uh, she actually prayed to receive Jesus Christ with me one time, uh, very much at a lot of pressure from my family and, and from me just out of a sincere wish for my friend and I to be able to be on the same page. Um, and now when I look back, I am mortified that I did that. And I, I actually have asked her, her forgiveness at some point in my adult life because I realized how incredibly um, horrific that was. It was just like, you know, who, what? Who am I what? to say? Like, yes. And well, not to mention, it's like, it's just so demeaning and it's so wrong in so many ways. And I had no idea, of course, at the time. Um, and she, of course, said to me, you know, of course, Rich, I forgive you and, and no problem. 
she and I really have had a very unique relationship and, and we still stay in touch, but talking about indoctrinating. Yeah. Yes. You know, even your friends at school, I used sure. to dread Thursday nights because we had to go down. They had a farmer's market. They block off the main street in our, in our town and everybody would, all the restaurants would pull out grills and barbecue outside. And there was oh. all of these like little, you know, vendors and farmers would bring their stuff down and, and there's yep. a farmer's market. And we had to go and preach open air at the farmer's market. And there is nothing quite as mortifying as being on the main street of a relatively small town, having to preach open air and then go to school the next day. The I next would do day. anything to get out of that meeting. So anything with, to avoid yes. that. Yes. Was that called witnessing? Was that the word uh, we used? Yes. In, in our, it was the yeah. so there's, there's our so, outreach. Our outreach. Yes. Our outreach. Yeah. Yes. And so the, the meme says uh, Christianity, spiritual warfare, the burden of getting all my friends and family saved, what you just said, pressure to have daily quiet time, sexual ref- repression, fear of the impending rapture. Why do you folks who know me think oh that my I'm goodness. so obsessed with the zombie apocalypse, folks? That all comes from the book of Revelations, people. Yep. Sexist expectations. We're going to talk yeah. about that, especially in your family, uh, guilt. And um, and it's funny because you saw that and you reached out and you said, I, there's not a Sunday I don't wake up that I don't, I don't feel uh, the freedom of that. But what a great way to start that too, of, of how dare people as evangelicals. And I think the timing of this, Rachel, is so interesting, especially with what's going on in the world, with, with, the, with the, what we clearly see mm-hmm. is the rise of the evangelical in politics, P.S., Somebody on this podcast happens to have met Mary Miller from, from Illinois, <laughs> not friends with, and, yes. uh, and I mean, that's, that's a great example of it too. So I think this is a really important conversation to really kind of peel back the layers of, you know, what it's like to be in yeah. that, how you stay in that. Um, for us, we didn't, weren't yeah. given a choice, but how you see how powerful it is with your own mom's experience and my mom's experience of why mm-hmm. they stayed in for so long. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny because I can still occasionally, uh, and sometimes to be honest, I'll sometimes do it just to see if I can still do it, but I can sometimes occasionally change the logic structure in my head to the logic that was that group. And, and I'm a really weird person. (laughs) I found, (laughs) I didn't know this growing up, but I'm a weird person (laughs) because I created um, my way of creating safety for myself was to find patterns and to track stories. And so I can remember, and I remember being like eight years old and in my mind going, okay, so-and-so is not in favor with the leadership in the church right now. They were two weeks ago. They are not now. I don't know what it is that caused that, but now I know how to reorient my actions. And so I learned to track people, behaviors, interactions, patterns of interactions, and story, huge amounts. That's, That's how I stayed safe. So it's fascinating to me to um, sometimes go back and restructure that logic and go, well, we believe this because of, and if you read my story, which I think you're going to link on your your website, um, one of the things that occurs in that story is that I have to tell people when they read it now, I don't think like I did at that point. And even at that point, I didn't think like I wrote. I wrote as a way of... um, debating with people who were still in that group. So it was written to a specific audience and it was written with specific criteria. So in the church that we grew up in, you could never uh, bring up an accusation against a person in leadership unless you had two or three witnesses. And those of you who have ever suffered any kind of um, intimate violence, abuse, sexual abuse, domestic violence, et cetera, 
what you will find is there's not going to be two or three witnesses. There just, there just isn't. Um, and so when you read through my story, I was very careful to only do two or three witnesses. And so as a result, um, I, I found myself uh, really limiting my story. So when you read that story, that's kind of like the highlight version of it. And I think a lot of us end up in that kind of situation. But again, that logic structure, how you end up indoctrinated, how you end up staying, the crazy making that happens that keeps you so focused on these boogeymen that you don't pay attention to, or this list of activities you have to complete, that you don't pay attention to what's actually going on. Right. The abuse you're actually suffering, the loss of rights you actually are are, are being subjected to. It's definitely the analogy of the the, the frog in the slow slow pot boil. Uh, slow, then yep. they, you know, it's super warm and nice, and then after, then it's it's just too hard to get out of it at that point, even though it's incredibly painful. And and as we all know, for anybody who grew up in the Catholic Church or anything where it's just organized religion, mm-hmm. and as I like to say. If I had a, if I had a relationship status on Facebook with Jesus, it would be, it's complicated, right? And as you all know, my other favorite phrase is my Jesus. I love to reference my Jesus and, and, and he's not even, he's a bit player in my spiritual world, quite frankly. And for all you who want to get butt hurt, you can tune out now, can't you? You can just keep on scrolling, but it's really interesting how I do feel like it's the same story over and over again of how people get indoctrinated. And it's usually through what we now call love bombing and, you know, any, any type of thing where you're being told, um, oh, come to this and things will, you know, get so much better. And I did notice in, in our particular branch of the church. Uh, and again, my parents got involved uh, when I was, when I was, again, when I was eight, we left when I was 17. And so this was just this terribly formative time. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but even now, and that safety piece that you said, oh my gosh, that just hit my heart and my soul. And we spoke about mm-hmm. it uh, before we hit the record button about being empaths. And so that in some ways yeah. can serve you, but in other ways you feel so much and you, 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 you just, all you want to do is stay safe and small and not rock the boat because of what you said that you could be in the favor of the church one second and then out of favor. And that's, that's very much a thing that they do is keep people unsettled and like, really yeah. like, Hey, you know, I, um, you know, I, you, I don't, you don't know when you're going to do something wrong next, but this is also based on hierarchy and patriarchy and your, your yeah. dad and your grandfather. And quite frankly, your, your problematic grandmother <laughs> was a huge <laughs> part of that. I mean, I mean, that's all you knew because yeah. you were, you were born in, in, uh, I remember you as a baby. I remember you coming back to yeah. the assembly and you were just a huge deal. You were a huge celebrity, by the way, <laughs> in these like small Midwestern town, little um, sects, uh, S-E-C-T-S, by the yeah. way, of these little things when yeah. these celebrities of these churches, these, uh, these other branches come and visit it's a huge, huge, huge deal. And so everybody just wants to be in favor. So in my mind, you were just the favored child. Isn't that amazing? Oh, like I, people experience? always thought that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people thought that. And it's so weird because like, I knew that that was the case, but I also knew that that was not the way it was in terms no. of like the reality. There was no, there was no favor of anything. It wasn't even a gilded cage. It was just a plain out cage. Yeah. <laughs> um, like a and so, yeah, cage, yeah yes. but, but I do know that people oftentimes were just like, 
oh, like I used to growing up, I used to not say what my last name is. When I went to a seminar and, or in these big meetings where all the churches would get together and I made somebody who was kind of a new recruit or whatever and they would, they would hi, what's your name? I'd, hi, I'm Rachel. Rachel who? I'm like, just Takis. Mm-hmm. And they would be like, oh, oh my God. Right. are you Kim's daughter? No, I'm David's daughter. You know, and, and it just like, it just didn't, let's not go there. Let's just not go there because, right, because they I would, don't want that baggage. Yeah. <laughs> they would make this huge deal about it, but you know, the, the toughest thing yeah. for us and, and you're, t- and you're so right. Nobody escaped that cage. And especially no, no. as, as females, and we will talk about the abuse yeah. that we know, like our siblings, uh, that were, that were males, uh, ex- experiences. Well, everything had its unique little, little horribleness to it because you just don't realize how small your world gets when it's in a church and when it's yeah. in a church that is just, yeah. that is a, that is a cult. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, I mean, part of the control of it's, it's so interesting. So if you go read my, again, if you read my story, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I had the time I was researching cults. I was like, okay, is it only Christians that do this? Is it only, you know, what, how do we get here? How, why does this keep happening? I was really interested to know why. And I had come to the realization at that point in my life that the whole, you know, growing up in this church, we were all told that psychology was a bunch of baloney and that it was just people who were not like, you know, submitted to God's will and all of that kind of thing. You know, oh, that's the, I think that's issue. the first thing they will tell you because that takes yeah. out any kind of empowerment of using your actual, exactly. Uh, you know, you're sussing it out, your own discernment. Yeah. Yep. And so, but I had realized that when I left the church at 18 and, and, you know, Again, playing the beads a little bit. My dad was physically violent, um, very physically violent our entire life growing up. It was physically violent towards our mother. Um, and and I swore at, that was not something I was ever going to be a part of. And then my first really serious relationship out after I got out as an adult, I find the guy pitting me up against the wall and smashing holes next to my head, you know, stuff like that, um, twisting my arm behind my back. And I realized the, there's something to these kind of internal patterns that we we, we take on. And so when I was reading up on different kinds of churches, I came across this one person's story. It was actually about a, a, a yoga group. And, um, and it was so similar to our church with some separate, like they use different terms, like ashram instead of brother's house and, and you know, uh, yeah. things like that. So instead of a devotion, they'd have their morning uh, meditation, but it was all the same activity. And they said that cults are structured on the same uh, patterns of behavior that dysfunctional families are. So you've got the addict, that core person who is charismatic and slightly out of control and very attractive and um, addicted to something. And in cults, oftentimes you're not talking about substances because oftentimes substances are not allowed. But money, power, sex, yes, Mm -hmm. all of those things. 100%. And then you have the codependence, which is usually the internal group of people. And and while they do suffer a lot of abuse, they also are the ones who have all of the power. They make all of the rules. They go out all of the punishments. They keep everybody in line. And then, of course, the next thing that you have is all of the children roles. And all of a sudden, when I read that, I was like, oh, wow, this totally makes sense. My family had that. My dad was the addict. My mom was the codependent. We took the children roles. But then my mother, in terms of the group as a whole, she took a child role. She was very much the hero child, you know, the one who was always working her butt off and, mm-hmm. and not really getting any kind of recognition for it. And then um, 
my dad was the scapegoat child. He was always in trouble with his dad. Always, 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 always. Right. And, um, and then my grandfather, of course, was the, in the church was the, the, the addict. And, um, and then my grandmother was the codependent, but then all of the internal leadership group that made sure that my mom didn't go tell the police and that we didn't report anything. And that every single time my dad beat someone, beat my mom so bad that people found out about it, that they moved us to a new church. So I moved 21 times in my first 18 years of life. And most of that occurred before I was eight years old. So it gives you an idea of just how intensely crazy this kind of structure can become yes. when it's based on these dysfunctional patterns that are actually attracting people who come from dysfunctional pasts because the pattern camouflages into their past and it just feels familiar. But the external seems so different that they think they're doing something different and unique and not getting involved with the same crazy that they grew up in. And instead they are, they're recreating that crazy with a different, a different whitewash on it. A, a different face to it. And then to add to that again, oh my God, that was so profound. Thank you. To add to that too, we're talking about Rachel's family who at the, again, at the very, very top of the food chain of this very, very large cult that was nationwide. It was throughout the country, right? It was international. It was in Canada. It was in England. It was in France, Nigeria, Uganda, and Tanzania. So yeah, international. Yes. Oh, and, and Spain, Mallorca. That's right. So this kind of happened after, after my heyday, or I just, I wasn't aware yeah. of it, but I, I can see how it grew because again, like you said, it feels familiar, but it's something that just looks like you're going to like change up whatever your old pattern was. But again, multiply this dynamic that you're talking about into thousands of people, into all these hundreds of different yeah. little, uh, little groups throughout the, the Midwest. And then in our little group. So the main one was in Tuscala, Tuscola, Illinois. And then we were sort of an offshoot in Champaign. And so there was all these little well, the organizational patterns or, you know, the, the mm -hmm. org charts of that. And, and then you multiply that. Now we're not saying that every family has had this kind of experience that grew up in these evangelical right. or fundamental churches, but you have to say there's an irony that you're sitting here. There's two women on this podcast that have a very similar experience of either your mom being abused for me. It was my sister and myself and, and my brother that was, was ordained. And, um, and we did try to tell. And so, you know, it's the same thing with mm -hmm. your family as well. There's all these secrets and lies. And so again, we're not saying that everybody yeah. has this, but there's such a pattern of abuse because it's set up for that. And, and I, I want to talk about this piece, if we could, then the, the uh, responsibility of your grandmother, again, of this, this complicit help meet. A lot of these words, by the way, are making me cringe. I'm going to have a couple of stiff drinks after this one, if not stopping to go get one, because it's so triggering to hear these words that were again, so indoctrinated in this um, God's will. And that's a huge piece. It's a huge piece for any of these religions, help yeah. meet complicit. Um, and I feel like it's somewhat similar to, to what's going on with our current world of evangelicals and even of, mm -hmm. of who's voted in a lot of the administration of, of complicit women that are sort of still holding the puppet strings and running a lot of stuff because they're just yeah. going to kind of go along with that. But, and it sounds like, and I know your grandmother was huge in that. And quite frankly, I didn't even realize it until reading your missive, which again is 20 years ago, mm -hmm. but still holds true. And, and thank you for clarifying yeah. that you wrote it for a different audience, but yeah, talk, talk about that of, of realizing what her power was in her and, and how she was responsible so, for a lot of this too. 
Yeah. So I, growing up, I just inherently knew her power because she made all the decisions. Anytime my parents had an argument, there was a conversation with grandma. Anytime we were going to move, it was a conversation with grandma. The budget in our family was set up with grandma. Um, you know, my grandma took the position of being, being, you know, all the decisions. My mom did not have a partnership in any sense of the word with my, with my father. And, um, and, uh, and edicts would just come down from Betty. And it was always from Betty. Um, mm-hmm. My grandfather, whose name was George, he really couldn't handle my dad. He didn't like my dad a lot. He didn't get along real well with my dad. And so he didn't have a lot to do with him. Um, and my grandmother really was close with my dad. And so uh, she would kind of run interference and, and make our life the way she thought it should be. So we were very much her experimentation ground. Um, and so that was that was kind of a an interesting thing. Um, my grandma taught things like uh, you should uh, spank a baby at six weeks old. That's when you should start spanking. Now that eventually got changed. My my mom actually very much pushed back on that, and uh, eventually it got moved out to I think like twelve months old. Um, but still, that kind of thing. So she was she was very much that way, and she was very hard and not emotional and. Um, and that trickled down to, was, the, the, to the church, cool. by the way. Yeah, that that really. She was. See, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, so no, I just she was cruel. She just was. Yeah. And so as I got older, I always knew that whatever grandma said was what was going to go. Ultimately, I mean, even if grandpa, we called him Papa too, but even if Papa Chu said something, um, it would ultimately be her. Uh, as an adult, once I had gotten out of it, I started to realize the power she held just from the structure of dysfunctional families. And then in putting together my my story, which I call my story, but it's really my mother's story and my story, mm-hmm. um, I did a lot of convers- I had a lot of conversations with my mom, and it really became very apparent how much my grandmother had. And and um, you know, I know that my mom had kept journals back in the day. Um, I've mm-hmm. never gotten to read them. Um, oh, I don't wow. know that I ever will. She probably will. Just ha- if she hasn't already, she will destroy them. But I definitely, um, I definitely know that it really documents the number of times that Betty just inserted herself in that in our lives. So I always knew how much power she had. But of course, you can't have that be the perception in a situation and in an organization that is supposed to be led by men. And so she was very good at being able to present herself as behind the scenes or not as behind the scenes, present herself as submissive and um, the help me. But all of the men went and talked with her. All of the leadership underneath her husband met with her on a regular basis. She set up very early on to have the young men come and speak with her on a regular basis. Wow. And she she, she is crafty, a hundred percent. Like the Beastie Boys say, she's crafty. She gets around, yeah, <laughs> and it's and and I'm wanted you to to share that as well, just just to say that what this what happened again these edicts that got I love that word that got handed down, uh, reverberated throughout the church. So when you think about anything that's cult like or you know any 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 kind of organization that you can see, it's about control. And then it's about mm-hmm. you, it, it's getting almost like a prison system in the sense of having to ask to do anything. And I will tell you anything. from any, anything. And so, you know, what you said about the children being disciplined and, and I, I just, I'm, I put the trigger warning in the beginning too, but, but please know some of these things that we're going to talk about 
Um, to us, it's just what we we grew up with, but it's 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 very disturbing. It's very disturbing what a lot of these churches will do to keep people in control. And one of the ways that they did that, which is which is why it it um, sits with me a lot, is because it was the it was horrible as an adult, but I got to tell you, it's about ten times worse to be a kid in a cult. And yeah. so the uh, yeah, the you children, have no no voice, no power, no voice. I mean, and talk about being powerless beyond powerless. It is. And, and y'all, we're not going to spend the whole, we are going to talk about what we did after these years. And, and the reason why is that a lot of people have gone through this and we want to tell you like some of the, the, the struggles that we went through as well. And the victories that, that we've made, as Rachel said, that you, know, you wouldn't change it to be in the position that you're in right, right now, which I love <laughs> me personally. I wish I had a little bit of a sliding door, like that. My mom left my stepdad and never got involved and it was a whole <laughs> different, like alter universe, you know, that, that I could dig yeah. with too. I'd like to see what would have happened there, but I still, I still like where I'm at, but the disciplining for children y'all was, was intense. I mean, kids were, you know, we'd sit in these meetings on, on Sundays and be these rows of chairs and, and, and people's yeah. homes. We never met in, in an organized uh, church and I'm not sure what that was all about, but it was, I think right. that was a hiding in plain sight thing as well too. So that, um, yep. maybe even for a tax purpose, I don't know, but, um, you know, they, they, little kids would like sit in and they would have a, a, a gap in the chairs and they would be on mats and they would be required yeah. to be yeah. completely silent. And, um, you know, it was just this unreasonable amount of pressure put on kids. And, you know, I, it took me a long, long time again, to enjoy Sundays because we would go to church on Sunday and we would be two yeah. sessions. We would drive, first of all, we would drive a half an hour. And then we would be in church from, let's say, depending on who was, was giving the, the service or whatever, Ugh, still, it makes me throw up in the mouth. Um, but you know, from let's say eight to ministry, to, uh, giving ministry, ministry, ew, that was it. <laughs> ew. Isn't it amazing how you can cringe over this, <laughs> just a phrase that most people wouldn't even think twice about? Like, what? What's your deal? What's your damage me? I'm like, Oh God. Right. It's, it's the context <laughs> of saying the ministry, which again, you know, now folks, when you meet me, you know why I get a little bit twitchy about churchy shit. And that's what it was, but, you know, be in church from like eight to uh, on a good day, 1130, and then have a break for about an hour and an hour and a half. And then you'd have to go back on a Sunday after a big lunch and sit in church again from one 30 or two to about four 30 or five That's oh, every Sunday, all the day. Uh, uh, uh. And it just, you know, you think about that for a kid, like that cuts into your weekend and creates this uh, dread. But again, in any, in any cult, this is, this one isn't new. It just happens to be our story. Um, it, it really does start. And I want to talk about this too, Rachel, and you probably saw instance and in, instance after over the years of how they found these people that, like you said, like two that, that came from this probably damaged background. Um, like a lot of, a lot of single people, a lot of single moms, uh, actually in a, a lot of, families, a lot of college age, a lot of college age, college apps, age was what they really recruited which is how your mom got recruited in, in school in California Absolutely. to your, to your dad. And interesting how your grandmother kind of indoctrinated her knowing that her son already had some little things going on that she wanted to get somebody to saying, this is God's will under that guise of God's will. And again, I spend, I cannot tell you how many times a week. Now I'm not saying that he does that. How many times God or Jesus is like, I never fucking said any of that. <laughs> that's my idea. That he's like, I never said any of this. I never said for you to do all these and jump through all these hoops. But again, that's how the power yeah. is kept, right? It, it absolutely is. And it was interesting what you said about the amount of pressure on kids. The structure, 
And this is interesting because this structure is actually outlined in, I believe it's Dobson yeah. outlines it. And it was used in our group and I've seen it used in other groups as well. So it wasn't strictly to our group, but it was this idea of there's these series of umbrellas and the top umbrella is God. And immediately under that is the husband. And immediately under that is the wife. And then under the wife is the kids. And so, um, that, that was really the way the pressure went as well. So the men were judged by how well their wives and kids did. And the wives were judged by how well their kids did. And so here you are, a little kid, just trying to figure out life at the very bottom. And your parents' entire like worth in this group is mm-hmm. based heavily on how well you behave. So heaven forbid you have a bad day. Heaven forbid you get tired or hungry or sick or any of those kinds of things, there is so much pressure. And so if you're not behaving, then there will be pressure on your mother and there will be pressure on your dad and so on and so forth. And so even among really decent people, that kind of pressure can warp people and and produce bad results. And I do remember, and it's written on a website, the only reason I'd be willing to share it on this, but there was a woman who said that she and her husband, got involved with this church and as time went on this pressure developed into him hurting her and he she he was being physically violent towards her and um he had never been like that before they got involved with the church and eventually they mm-hmm. ended up leaving because she was going to leave him and he just kind of had this moment of like oh this is not what i want they did a lot of therapy afterwards they ended up salvaging their marriage they ended up being okay at least the way she presented the story at the time i read it And she said it never happened again after they left. There was never another incidence of any kind of physical abuse or physical violence. And all of the emotional abuse ended up lightning and lightning and then through therapy ended up resulting. And so, again, you come back to people under pressure will work. We are humans. We are not going to be infallible. And so people will say, how could you stay and how could this happen? Da, 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 da. It's that, like you said earlier, frog in the pot. It keeps it slowly and then all of a sudden you realize you're cooking alive. Yep, we are leaving you at a cliffhanger moment. So make sure to tune in next week for part two of Growing Up in a Cult with my guest, Rachel Giftakis McCumber. And also make sure to check out her business, Michael and McCumber. You'll love this. It's a tech development consulting firm specializing in the cannabis industry. Can't think of a better way to give organized religion the finger. So of course, links will be in the show notes. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave a review, especially if it's a good one. If you really like the podcast and you want to show it, head on over to shitwedonttalkaboutpodcast.com, click on the patrons button and become a full-time supporter of the podcast. And if you want your very own podcast and you don't know where to start, go to helix-interactive.com, get yourself some and tell them that Mia sent you. See you next time. Bye.